0: Good morning once again. If you will, take out your Bibles with me and open to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, if you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it's going to be on page 140 in the the blue Bible in the pew in front of you there. Page 140 on that Bible. Numbers chapter 11. You know what I hate? I hate... Complainers I hate it when people complain. All they ever do is whine and gripe. Whining this and griping that. They're always me, 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 complaining, complaining, complaining. I can't stand when people complain. Everybody's always complaining. They're so negative all the time. They're always calling out other people for things that other people do wrong. They're ever willing to take a look at themselves. You know what else I hate? Hypocrites. You know, people who are always calling down other people, and then they go and do the very same thing themselves. I can't stand that. See what I did there? Complaining and being a hypocrite. We're we're all complainers sometimes, are we not? Grumbling and complaining. None of us are immune, are we? I have always thought that if there were a ranking for most disobeyed verses in the entire Bible, Coming in at number 1 would probably be Philippians 2.14, which says, Do all things without complaining or arguing. None of us are immune, are we? You remember when we started the book of Numbers, and I said we would begin to see ourselves in the Israelites as we go through this book? Well, today's one of those passages. Today's one of those passages where we begin to see ourselves in the Israelites. We can't look away. We have to look it straight in the face. Let's read our passage together. Numbers chapter 11. I'm actually going to read the first 15 verses with you. Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 1 all the way through 15. So follow along with me as I read. God's word says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. When the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. The people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed. Its appearance like that of bdellium. People went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cake. Cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant, and why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth, that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I might not see my wretchedness. This morning from our passage, I want to look at three different lenses through which to see this complaining. Number one, we're going to look at the complaining of the people. Number two, we're going to look at the complaining of Moses. And then finally this morning, we're going to look at the response of God. Grumbling and complaining. Number one, let's look at the complaining of the people, the complaining of the Israelites. Notice back in verse 1. Look at verse 1 one more time with me. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And notice again in verse 4, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again, which is another word for complained again. Now, we need to talk about this manna that they start talking about. You hear them complaining that all they have is this manna to look at, and they're desiring the food that they had back when they were slaves in Egypt. Now, to understand this, you need to go back to the book of Exodus. Once the people were delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians, and God does the miracle at the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, and the Israelites go through on dry ground, and the Red Sea closes back up over their pursuers, the Egyptians and Pharaoh, God has them in the wilderness now. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and they're on a journey to Mount Sinai where they will spend a decent amount of time where God gives them the law. But right after that Red Sea miracle, they start complaining and grumbling. And they start saying things like, God, did you bring us out here in the wilderness just to kill us? What are we here for? Why don't we just go back to Egypt? And so God, in his mercy and his grace, doesn't wipe them all out for being ungrateful for what he has just done. No, instead, he miraculously feeds them every morning with manna, bread from heaven that falls down when the dew falls down. And the people go out and they gather it. And God provides for their needs, even as he has them out wandering in the wilderness. It's this bread from heaven that is called manna, okay, that they're referring to here. But now, at this point, after they've spent that time at Sinai, they've left Sinai and they're on the journey to the promised land. Remember, this is about a a two-week-long journey from Mount Sinai to the land of Canaan that God promised hundreds of years ago. Abraham, their ancestor, and they go back to grumbling and complaining. All we've had for so long is the same old manna every day. What's for lunch? Manna. What's for dinner? Manna. What's for breakfast tomorrow? Manna. Back in Egypt, you notice when they said this, back in Egypt, they said, we had fish that cost us nothing. In Egypt, we had cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Then they start to say essentially this. God's holding out on us. God's not giving us enough. We want something different. We want meat. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about the complaining of the people this morning. First, notice how they begin to think about their present situation. Notice how they think about the present. The heart that complains only sees negative in the present. The complaining heart only sees negative in the present. Look how they're describing their present situation. They're saying things like, our strength is dried up. All we have is this boring manna. What are they forgetting? What are they forgetting? Forgetting that they're free. They've been freed from slavery in Egypt. They're forgetting that every single morning, God is doing an amazing miracle to give them bread from heaven out of nowhere every single morning. They're forgetting where they're going. They're on a journey to the promised land and they're complaining and grumbling on the way. I mean, think about this. What would it be like if you inherited a fortune beyond your wildest dreams and someone told you all you have to do is get 15 miles down the road to a certain building, you go inside and you will receive your fortune. You get your car, you start it up, and you start down the road. And about two miles down the road, your transmission blows out. Your car is broken down. What happens? You get out and walk. But how silly would it be if the whole time you were walking the rest of that, that trek, you were sitting there saying, my transmission's blown out. My transmission's blown out. How silly would that be? You've got a fortune beyond compare just down the road. These people are grumbling and complaining as they went. They're forgetting how good God is being to them. And all they can see is the negative in the present. See, when we are complaining, when we complain, we're failing to thank the Lord for all the good He is doing to us that we do not deserve. Let me ask you this Are you breathing this morning and not in hell? You thank the Lord for that? You thank the Lord for that? Has God given you the opportunity? To come to know Jesus Christ, not everybody in the world can say that. Not everyone in the world today has had the opportunity to come know Jesus Christ. you have food to eat when you leave here this morning? you have food to eat for lunch? You thank the Lord for the fact that you do not have to worry about that. Do we not live in a country where we are free to essentially live as we please? To where we are free to gather for worship? without fear of government persecution or involvement in what we're doing here. Yet we complain. Tell you what, it's not not just you all, it's me. I fall to complaining sometimes. It it, it strikes me, it convicts me how ungrateful I am sometimes. Sometimes I complain about raising little kids, The, 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 the life that God has given me in that. You know what? Sometimes when I'm complaining about that, every now and then God will give me a a little moment of clarity to stop and think, there are people in this world who would trade places with me in a heartbeat. There are people in this world who are desperate to even be able to have kids. Here I am complaining sometimes about it. How often do we complain about silly things? And it's all due to our ungrateful hearts. Go down the road, and we're complaining about a road that needs to be fixed. Right, it hasn't been paved well. Complain about, I don't know, service at a restaurant. Complain about not having a Chick Fil A in Columbia or whatever. Right. I mean, what? I'm serious. What? What a what an ungrateful idiot I can be sometimes. My complaining heart and my attitude. I called one of our families the other day. They were in the hospital. This is a family where. One individual's been in and out of the hospital quite a bit for the last few years. Way more reasons to complain than I would ever have. Right? And they're in the hospital when I call them, and all they can say to me on the phone, all they can say to me on the phone is, John, we are so blessed. That's all they can say to me. Right? That's what we're talking about. That's the heart that we are after. But not just, notice not just how the Israelites think about their present. Notice how the Israelites are also thinking about their past. Notice what they're thinking about their past. You see, when we complain, we tend to have selective memory when it comes to the past. We have selective memory, okay? The Israelites were saying, remember the fish that cost us nothing back in Egypt? cost you nothing. What are you talking about? It cost them everything. It cost them their freedom, the freedom of their kids and their grandkids. Cost them their blood and their sweat and their tears. It cost them everything. And they're sitting there idolizing their slavery back in Egypt. You see, that's what Satan wants. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to look back on your life before following Christ and to forget how unhappy you were. If you are in Christ this morning. Satan wants you to look back on your life before Christ and to forget. How unhappy you were. Do you ever do do that? I'm ashamed to say I do sometimes. You ever look back on your life before Christ? And all you can see and all you can think about is the freedom and the pleasure. Completely forget. I completely forget how depressingly unhappy I was. And God, in His mercy, every now and then will give me a, a moment of clarity to remember. Genuinely, how unhappy I was without Christ! The lie from Satan. Satan says, "Come back. Life was so much better before." Satan wants to convince you that the shackles and the chains are on you now. We know better. The shackles and the chains were on us back then, in slavery. And it is Jesus. It is Jesus who has set us free from the slavery of sin and death we are free now back then we were in bondage that's why it's so important that this human nature problem that we have when we remember the past selectively it's so important when you start having thoughts like that to go to god's word and get the clear perspective go to god's word this is something that is outside of yourself this this is truth here that is not affected by your emotions. Truth here that doesn't change by what you remember or don't remember. It's not clouded by your selective memory. It's there to be read, and it's always the same. It's outside of you. Martin Luther used to call this the external word, and it's important that it's external. You go to the Bible, and you let it correct your doubts and your emotions. Let God's word correct your doubts and your emotions so we see the complaining of the people but I also want you to see in the text the complaining of Moses himself complaining of Moses himself you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about how sin is contagious right what sin is more contagious than complaining Moses is infected here by the attitude of the people and it infects his heart and his attitude And now we see him complaining saying things like God why did you stick me with these idiots saying things like, God, why have you laid the burden of these people on me? Did I give birth to all of them? Did you notice how he started talking about this? Did I conceive this, this people? Did I give birth to over a million people, God, and now I'm their nursing mother and I have to take care of them and they're acting like babies and you're making me deal with it? He's complaining to God, Moses himself. Now, we might chuckle at all of that, but behind all of this is an extremely serious heart issue. Moses has. Moses is not just crying out to God for help here. That's not what he's doing. You really look at the heart of what he's saying. He's accusing God of wrong. He's accusing God of wrongdoing. Did you catch that? Look back at verse 11 with me. Verse 11 there it says, Moses is talking, he says, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And there at the end he says, why did you lay this burden on me? He's accusing God. Complaining like this comes from a heart that questions God's wisdom, God's goodness. See, the root of complaining, the root of complaining, we're getting to the bottom of this here, the root of complaining is unbelief. The root of all our complaining is unbelief, a lack of faith in God, that he is in control, that he is wise. He is good, that he cares for you. We've all been there, whether we admit it or not. We have all been there to where our complaining descended into questioning God and even accusing God. How many of you have said something like this in your life? And By the way, I'm pulling these out of my own head because I know how this feels. God, my my little kid will not go to sleep. I'm suffering here. You just don't care, God? You don't care that I'm suffering? You don't care about me? God, I've prayed and I've asked you to help us with our finances hundreds of times. You just like seeing me in pain? Or, God, I've had one thing after another this year. One thing after another, and it's more than I can handle, God. Do you think I'm Superman? You sense the heart behind this, the questioning of God, the accusing of God. One author and speaker that's greatly affected my wife and I is a lady by the name of Nancy Guthrie. I don't know if you've ever read any of her stuff, but Nancy Guthrie and her husband uh, had a daughter. It was their first daughter, and they named her. They named their daughter Hope. But immediately after she was born, they learned that Hope was only given six months to live because she was diagnosed with a, a rare metabolic disorder, a fatal one. Well, Hope ended up living 199 days, but then breathed her last, having never reached her first birthday. Now, Nancy, Guthrie, and her husband, they grieved. And then they figured out that they were gene carriers of this syndrome, a syndrome that has no cure and is fatal to all who are born with it. And so knowing that any child that they had would have a 25% chance of having this syndrome, they took surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy the responsible thing to do. About a year and a half later, they discover that God had overruled their surgical steps, that they were pregnant again. They were excited, but they were also scared. Did God overrule their surgical intervention to give them a child after they had lost one, give them that blessing to experience, or was God going to ask them to go through this They did prenatal testing, found out that this child, the son this time, did, in fact, have the fatal syndrome. Son Gabriel was born, lived with them for about six months, and died. Having gone through this twice now, she said, I had moments where I questioned God. Why? Why, God? Why did you let this happen a second time did i not learn the lesson the first time do i need to take a remedial course in this she says but she also says the only thing that got her and her husband through that was the firm foundation of knowing god is in control and that god is good god is in control god is good you see if god is in control and he's good if both those things are true then you can have this peace when things go haywire because god must be doing something i can't see right now. you can only say that if god is in control and he's good If you have a firm foundation of both of those things god must be doing something i can't see right now what is he what is he wanting to work in my heart how is God helping me to grow and mature in this? It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but it means you have a sense of peace knowing that God must be doing something that you cannot see. Have you ever met someone who seems like they're just walking on clouds? Not, not that they're happy-go-lucky all the time, but like the everyday annoyances and pains of this world just don't touch them. you ever met someone like that? I think the only way that that happens is because of this. What we're talking about here firm, unshakable, foundational belief and trust that God is in control, God is wise, God is good. See, the, the root of complaining is unbelief. and The cure for it is strengthening your trust that God is in control, that God is wise, that God is good. So we've seen that the complaining of the people, the complaining of Moses. Now I want you to see the response of God Now notice God's response to complaining in our text. First of all, he hates it. He hates it. Look at verse 1. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Why does God hate complaining? I think it's because he does so much for us you realize he spends almost every minute of every single day being good to you? Realize this. God spends almost every minute of every single day being good to us. In fact, you could say every single minute of every single day. He spends being good to us. And what do we do? Complain. God, understand this, God manages the entire universe. You think you've got a lot of plates spinning right now in your life? You think you've got a lot of things to pay attention to? He manages the entire universe, which does not just include the earth. right? It certainly does not just include Columbia, Kentucky, or my little life. He manages the entire universe, and he upholds it every second. And what do we do? We question him as if we could do better, as if we had any idea. So God hates complaining, hates it. But notice also the way that he responds here. This is a little bit more frightening, I think, even than the fire of the Lord that comes out, the, the wrath of God actively coming against the people. This right here is even more frightening, I think. Sometimes God will give people what they want. Sometimes God will give people what they want. We haven't read these yet, but look at verses 18 and following with me. Look at verse 18 in your text. Numbers 11:18. It says, this is God talking, and say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? You see what God does there. He gives them what they want. He says, all right, you want some meat? You've got it until it's coming out your nostrils. One of the worst punishments that God can ever deal out is giving sinful people what they want and letting them experience consequences, the the painful consequences of having satisfied their sinful cravings. Later, in the book of Numbers, God will yet again give the people what they want. If you remember, when they come to the brink of the promised land and they send spies in, the spies see these giants that are living in the land. They're afraid of these giants. And they yet again do the same form of complaining. They said, God, what did did you bring us here to just kill us here? Oh, that we had died back in the wilderness. And what does God do? God says, okay, you wish you had died back in the wilderness? That's exactly what's going to happen. I'm sending you on a 40 year journey through the wilderness, and you're going to walk circles, and an entire generation is going to die in the wilderness just as you said. Gives them what they want. Later, even in the life of Israel, they will complain about not having a king. They will complain to Samuel and say, We want a king like all of the other nations around us. And Samuel takes it to the Lord. And Samuel says, what do I do with this people? And God says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to let them experience the painful consequences. Having a worldly king in the mold of worldly kings. It ends up with their suffering. It ends up with the death of many of them. Because God gave them what they asked for. And then finally, we see all the way in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, where Paul starts talking about the sinfulness of mankind. He says, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions and their lusts to experience what they craved and to experience the painful consequences of gratifying their sinful cravings. Theologians call this the passive wrath of God as opposed to the active wrath of God, the fire of the Lord burning against the people, the passive wrath of God is when He lets us go our own way and lets us gratify our sinful and fleshly cravings. Then we experience the consequences. Why? Because the Lord has set up the world to work in a certain way. And if you go against the way that God has set up the world to work, it's going to hurt. God set up the world to work that way. So if we had... every sinful craving that we had ever desired, what a horrible mess our lives would be. What a mercy it is, when I look back on my life, that God prevented me in so many ways from sinning like I wanted to at times. What a mercy and grace that was from God that I did not absolutely ruin my life in earlier years. God did not allow me to go my own way. But his passive wrath comes out at times in allowing people to go their own way, allowing them to receive what they ask for. Now, finally, notice the end result of it, the the ultimate end result. Look at verse 31 in chapter 11. Verse 31. I turned one page too far here. Verse 31, chapter 11, it says, Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought the quail, from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. Think about how much quail that would be. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp, while the meat was yet between their teeth. Before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth-Hatava, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth-Hatava, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. Now look back at verse 34 there. They called the place in the Hebrew kibroth which means graves of craving. Think about it. Graves of craving. Did you notice how all the way back in verse 4, it said the people had a strong craving? And that led to their complaining, which led to their deaths, their graves. What happens when you let the cravings of your sinful flesh lead you? Where does it finally end? It ends in the grave. The grave of craving. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Some of us in here this morning need to hear that warning and heed that warning. I'm not sure if, if it's complaining for you or if it's something else. Whatever it is for you, let me warn you from Scripture... If you continue to give in to the sinful desires of your flesh, it only leads to one place. That place is not heaven. If you continue to give in to the sinful desires of your flesh, it will lead you to hell. Stop and turn. Repent. The second part of that verse says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Will you heed that warning this morning? Will you stop and turn and not end up in a grave of your own craving? And so, in conclusion this morning, how do we keep from having a heart like this? A heart that complains and ends up in our own grave. A heart that dishonors the Lord and causes Him to become angry. How do we keep from having a complaining heart like this? Well, first, think of the present. Think clearly about your present situation. Know that God is in control and that He is wise and that He is good. That he is blessing you in hundreds of ways. Think of your present. Second, remember your past. Remember your past. Never forget what God has done for you in Christ. We need constant reminders of what Christ has done for us on the cross. When Jesus suffered, when Jesus suffered... Instead of complaining, what did he do? Shut his mouth. Isaiah says he opened not his mouth. When Jesus suffered, instead of railing against the injustice of it all, which it was horribly unjust, instead of railing against that, instead of complaining against that, Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of the people who were killing him. Remember the past. Finally, think of your future. Don't be that guy who is complaining all the way to your fortune about your broken down transmission. The Israelites were, were just weeks away, maybe even one and a half weeks away from the promised land, and all they're doing is grumbling and complaining on the way. Think of your future. Think of what God has for you if you are in Christ. We've been set free from our slavery, from our Egyptian bondage, and we are on a journey to the promised land. May we not grumble and complain along the way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us hearts that acknowledge your blessings. Give us a thankful and grateful heart to acknowledge what you are doing in our lives today, to acknowledge everything that you have done, to see our past clearly, and to see rightly, with clear eyes, how unhappy we were before Christ. God, if there are any here in this room or any hearing this sermon later who you know what that feels like, the unhappiness, the emptiness before Christ, I pray that you, you could help them to see what could await them if they would but turn, turn to Jesus, the satisfaction their hearts that they could have, they would have Jesus. God, we pray that you would help us always to remember that the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. But a short time, and we will see you face to face. But a short time, and we will experience a place with no more sin. No more suffering. God, help us to remember that. Help us to never forget. Help us to encourage one another toward this end encourage us in Christ and in your holy spirit toward this end in jesus name